welcome back to More Creative. I'm your host, Ashley Wiley, and today we talk with Nikki Kehoe, an animator and 2D animation pipeline director. Today, Nikki tells us about her experience working in the world of animation in Ireland and England. We hear about her early inspiration to become an animator and the many roles she's gotten to have throughout her career, working on projects for the BBC, Nickelodeon, and Netflix. She also gives us insight into how an animated series is created and what it's like to work on an animated series for Netflix with an original creator. It was awesome to have the opportunity to speak with Nikki about her story. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Nikki, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to have you on the podcast. That's delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. So I typically like to get a little bit of a better idea about your background. So did you always know that you wanted to work in animation or a creative field, even when you were younger? So weirdly, yes. I think when I was really young, I I just decided that animators were human beings and I'm a human being. Therefore, even though I'm from a rural town in Ireland, like I grew up on a farm, I was I was still just like no I could if I want to be I can be an animator so yeah I I was really obsessed with cartoons and animation when I was a kid as I'm sure most people who get into animation are and I just yeah decided from quite a young age that I was going to be an animator and then I was pretty focused on that through school and I had my college chosen and did an interview with Tom Moore from Cartoon Saloon when I was in when I was 15 and he was like don't get into animation it's really hard so he said no but I all I heard was yes so yeah here I am wow so even with sort of a a mentor telling you not to go into it you are still inspired to go that's awesome he said no but he sent me um images from the secret of kells while it was in concept stage so you can't say don't do something and then show this absolutely glorious artwork as though i'm gonna listen to you so i could just see see the creativity and i was i was sold i was just like i want to do that every day that's amazing so did you ever take any like drawing classes or anything while you were younger i was drawing all the time i was I'm quite a sick kid. I had really bad asthma when I was really young. So I think that influenced a lot of my background. I was constantly reading, constantly drawing. And if I could, because we only had one TV back in the day. So if I could get near it, I was watching cartoons. So it was just constant drawing. And my mom could see that. My mom and dad could see that I was really creative. And they like really nurtured that. And they sent me to drawing classes, kind of summer schools and stuff. And then... I did art classes in secondary school and then I went to college to, you know, to study animation. So yeah, it's been pretty constant the whole time that I would be drawing. So tell me a little bit more about your education experience. You went to the School of Animation in Dublin, right? I did, yeah. So it's at Ballyfermot College. Um, it's called Irish School of Animation and it was actually set up by Sullivan Bluth. Um, so they had a studio not far away from the college. There was no college. And then they arrived in Ireland and they needed staff. So basically they set up a college and started training people. And that's how the college started. And that's where I went. Um, a lot of the Sullivan Bluth alumni were tutors there. So they were amazing at teaching, you know, the kind of core values of animation, you know, the 
really high emphasis on drawing skills, a lot of figure studies and life drawing and lots of pencil and paper stuff, mostly predominantly pencil and paper stuff. So most of the computer stuff you learned was in your own time. So the Adobe suite and stuff like that. What was your chosen in the US, we call it a major. I don't know if you you call it anything else there, but a focus, I guess, when you went into school. So my uh, degree is in 2D animation. So you could either do a 2D degree in 2D animation or a degree in 3D animation, and I chose 2D. Oh, so what is the difference between 2D and 3D animation? In that college specifically, we if you were a 2D artist, you didn't really touch a computer that much, except for oh, to composite. Oh, interesting. So it was all like my final year film. And so in my degree, in your first year of degree in that college, you do a group film. So my, my film was chosen and I directed a small team of four people and we we made a short movie and then in your second year you do your own movie so you do everything on your own which was quite challenging so you know all the animation character design backgrounds and it's all hand-drawn backgrounds were also hand-painted i didn't use photoshop for that so but in a 3d one obviously it's all done you build your own 3d models and it's all done with computer animation then so so even still in your work today do you do the majority of your work by hand or do you use computer software a lot once i got into the animation industry from day one i have never used a pencil and paper to do my work so 2d now is using graphics tablets to draw directly into the computer so it's using a graphics tablet instead of pencil and paper but there was never a time where i used pencil and paper because studios don't use it anymore it's too expensive and you know it's not good for the environment as well so Straight away, it was learning the Adobe suite and using Flash and After Effects. Upon graduating from your school, what were you wanting to do at that point? What were your goals? I, I was so focused on definitely wanting to be in the animation industry. But when I graduated from college, I was really overwhelmed by the choice did I want to be a designer? Did I want to do backgrounds? Did I want to do character design? Did I want to animate? Did I want to do compositing? Because I really enjoyed all of it, especially because our final year film, you did do everything. So it was really hard for me then to look at the industry and, and, and pick one. I had a little bit of a struggle with that. And then I got a job in Cavalier Productions as the job role was called a flash editor, but it was um for an e-learning project and on that we had to do sort of some editing some animations some um asset building it was like a really varied job and it fed in that i loved doing i loved variety but i really enjoyed the animation side of it so i focused a little bit more on animation because i really really enjoyed it and then i got a chance to animate on I'm a Creepy Crawly, which was really fun. They were really short, one-minute episodes about different insects, kind of talking about how misunderstood they are. <laughs> um, so I did a fly and a cicada episode, and I learned so much on that show. It, it was amazing. And I loved that you just were given one episode and you just did everything. You You animated. The character designs were done and the backgrounds were done, but you had to make all the assets in Flash and then animate them. And it was it was just so much fun. So I really loved the animation side of it. And I decided that I would try and focus on animation. So I animation doesn't come naturally to me. It's something I have to practice to be good at and to think about all of the principles the way you need to think about them if you want to 
animate professionally. Mm -hmm. So I did animation mentor to ramp up my skills. And then I got a job in a, in another small studio. The thing about when you work in small studios, especially in Ireland at the time, if you went into a small studio, they kind of tapped into all of your skills. So again, it was design, it was asset building, it was animation, it was compositing. And I just, um, in Treehouse Republic, and I absolutely love that as well. Um, and they, we animated a, a short there. And so that gave me a chance to do some hand-drawn, some 3D, some cutout animation. It was really, really great. So even though I had decided I would do animation, the opportunities being offered to me were asking me to use all of the skills that I had learned in college. And I didn't hate it. I loved going in to work every morning and not really knowing what the day was going to bring because that kind of variety is fantastic. And I think I've been in the industry 10, 11 years now, and it's been like that the whole time. A lot, Most of the jobs I've had have really tapped into any skills that you're willing to offer, they're willing to use. So um, there has been a lot of variety in I think the opportunity it was quite hard to get work in Ireland when I graduated. There weren't that many studios. They were quite small. There weren't that many projects. So different to now when, you know, there's so many projects with Netflix and Disney and they all want content. But back then it was really hard. So if somebody offered you a job, you just figured out what skills they needed and you added them to your CV. And then you said, yes, I'd, I'd love the job. So now it's a little bit different that I can choose which way I want to go. But at that time, I just would take any opportunity that came. What was your first experience having your work out in the open for the public to see? What was that like? That was um, I'm a Creepy Crawly, and it was just the most fun. I was so excited. I still, <laughs> I mean, I look at the animation now and I'm like, oh, God, I hope nobody ever sees this. <laughs> But I just love it. I, I just adore that show and I adore the opportunity that I had. And I had, it was quite stressful. Obviously, there was quite a lot of pressure to do something that was TV standard. But the team were so supportive. Like the director and the animation director um, at Monster Distributes were amazing. So that that was the first one. It went, initially, it went on to um, Aer Lingus Aeroplanes as a little short for the kids cool um but then it got it got shown in ireland on our kind of um national station and then it just sort of grew exponentially and it went to hundreds of regions america canada australia yeah all over and even last year i saw that they had made a youtube channel for it and i was just like oh my god it's still it's still going <laughs> that's so fun so yeah that was the first and that it just still holds such a place in my heart because I, I loved working on it. And yeah, it was great. From your initial job as an animator, designer, you eventually transitioned to a Toon Boom Harmony Rigger. Can you explain what that position is? So there are two types of 2D animation, really. There is either hand-drawn. So like I said, you draw with a graphics tablet onto the screen and you, you'll draw a whole character in the position that you want them to be in. And the other kind is rigged um, animation. And that's where the character design team will design your characters and then they'll be passed to the rigging team. So the rigging team will get JPEG turnarounds of the characters and 
they'll break them up into all of the parts. So you'll you'll break the arm into the upper, lower, and hand. Then you'll break the torso, maybe into the upper chest and the waist. You'll break the leg into the upper leg, the lower leg, and the foot. And a rigorous job is to make sure that the physics of it works. So if the upper arm moves, the lower arm and the hand follow. So you basically are a puppet rigger. You you basically put the bones inside the character and make sure that it moves correctly. So then when it goes to animation, they actually don't have to draw that much. They do draw some stuff, you know, if they need extreme poses. But most of that work is done for them, so they can just move the character. They don't actually have to draw it from scratch or build it themselves. Wow. So do you have to study on how the human body moves? How did you do that? How did you see it in such a way that it (laughs) looked natural? Well, actually, I think I was really able to lean on my college experience and also in both animation mentor and Irish School of Animation, and also just being an animator myself. It's one of the reasons that Boulder offered me the opportunity. So I did a Toon Boom Harmony course, and my teacher was uh, Stephen O'Keefe, who was the head of the rigging department in Boulder Media. And he approached me and, and just said, look, I think you'd be great for this role because you have such varied experience. You're an animator. You've done some kind of rigging already um, in After Effects. So we'd love to bring you on board and train you from the ground up in Boulder, working on shows. And, you know, we'll we'll show you what you need to do. But because of your experience, we think you'd be great at it. And that offer really blew me away. I wasn't sure if I wanted to leave doing animation because if a company offers to train you, then you really need to commit. You can't just let them train you for six months and then decide that you want to leave. I really wanted to either go all in or not do it at all but it's quite rare for a company to turn around to you and say this is how much we believe in you and we we would really like you to come on board so I I thought that was quite a profound offer so I did decide to take them up on that offer like I started off as a props builder just you know usually they might only be one or two angles and so they're much easier to build so you start off as a props rigger and then and you work up to really simple characters that almost don't move before you'd ever move up to a main character. Mm-hmm. Um, so they nurtured me through that process and, and, and trained me up, and it was fantastic. But in terms of the physics, as an animator, you really have to study that side of things anyway. You have to study how humans move. You have to, try, you have to understand that. If you want to be a good animator, you, that's your bread and butter knowledge. So that's the information that and experience that you bring with you when you're a rigger. It doesn't mean that you necessarily have to have an animation background to be a rigger. It's just that if you do, a lot of the riggers that I know would have transitioned from animation to rigging. That experience is really, really useful because you are trying to think like an animator. A rigger's job is to facilitate making animation easier for the animation team. The whole point of rigged characters is to make it easier for animation so they can get through the animation faster. And from a company standpoint, they can animate more seconds per week. So you have to try and get into an animator's head. And if you've already been an animator, it's much easier to do. You can ask yourself, right, if I was going to animate this, you know, you look at the animatic, you see what the character has to do can my rig do that easily for the animator? Are they going to be able to move this the way they want to move it organically? And is it going to break? Because sometimes joints might have gaps or 
rigging is a real problem solving role, but because you've done all the problem solving, I think it really frees animation up to just do really nice expressive animation. So it was not definitely, I didn't go learn physics just to be a rigger. It was something that I'd already been studying. Was there any one type of character that was more difficult to rig than another? So anything that's sort of kind of circular shapes are much easier to rig, whereas if you have a big, broad, square type character, that can be really difficult. Uh, Four-legged creatures are much harder than two, also because you don't necessarily rig them as often, though we did rig on Littlest Pet Shop, which was just tons and tons and tons of animals. So <laughs> that was challenging. But most, the most difficult would be any sort of monster that you wouldn't have done before. So you really have to think outside the box. And if it's got really weird shapes and we had a monster on um, the wonderful Wizard of Oz that, or sorry, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. But I was around for the conversations that they were having. It had like tentacles and all this kind of stuff. And it was just a real big character. Um, so that was, there were meetings about what would be the best way to make this work for animation. So really it would be those kind of monster characters that, have to do a lot if a character doesn't have to do a lot it doesn't need a lot of rigging um you can make it quite basic but if it's a mean character and it needs to turn around a lot and it needs to act quite a bit and if it's especially if it's sort of an action based shot and it needs to be quite dynamic then you really need to consider how to make it easier for animation if those are the things that you have to think about like you really wake your brain up but then also it becomes more collaborative because you'll go to your peers and your colleagues and just ask you know what do you think and and you'll engage with the animation leads or you know some key animators and you know what do you think what would you like so in that way it's a really really collaborative department so it was it was a lot of fun so you went from an intro rigger to eventually moving to a senior position. What was that transition like for you? Well, I, I worked in Boulder as a senior rigger as well. So I worked up to that and we were senior on Rescue Bots Academy. Um, but I think I was extremely used to the Boulder way of rigging. It was the way I had been trained. So it was quite a natural organic process. We had such a rapport in that company and we were all trained the same way, so that wasn't too challenging. It was when I moved to Blue Zoo as a senior rigger that it was a really massive challenge because I thought I knew what I was doing because obviously I'd been comfortably rigging in Boulder for two and a half years. And then I arrived in Blue Zoo and my lead, Jessie, had been rigging for 10 years and she'd been doing it across multiple studios. She learned in Canada and Toon Boom is a Canadian uh, software. She was learning it and using it for years before it had ever even been in Ireland. So she knows a lot. And I opened the rigs on the first day. And my first job was to fix a character that had already been rigged. And it was, she was just like, yeah, just, you know, simplify it a bit. And, you know, it, it'll be fine. It'll be nice and easy. And I opened this rig and I just didn't have a clue what I was looking at. Oh, it was no. extremely complex. <laughs> and I just had this little internal panic and i was like oh my god i'm gonna get fired i don't know what i'm doing this is the worst so it was really really terrifying uh fortunately for me jesse is amazing anything i didn't understand she really walked through it and and showed me what i needed to know 
and then obviously this two and a half years of groundwork um, I was just able to build on it and I, I loved it I loved that I didn't know what I was doing once I was able to talk to Jesse because it takes a little bit of courage to go to your lead and be like I know you hired me as a senior <laughs> rigger and I have two and a half years experience but I actually don't have a clue what you've just done so could you please just pretend like I'm a junior and walk me through it um so plucked up my courage and did that and she she really showed me she taught me so much stuff it was absolutely amazing and by the end I was there for just over a year and we were making some really exceptional rigs and you know, I was really proud to be on that project as well because it was so cute. So what types of projects did you do while you were there? It was Luzu's very first 2D project called It's Pony. It's on Nickelodeon at the moment. It's absolutely adorable. It, it, it'll just kill you. It's so cute. Um, it's just about this uh, little girl, Annie, who lives in an apartment uh, with her pet pony and her parents mm-hmm. in a city. So yeah, it's fantastic. So after you worked as a senior rigger, you eventually joined Mystery Q as a pipeline director on their very first animated TV show. So what is the difference between a rigger and then a pipeline director? Essentially, there are no similarities between the two jobs. Um, I worked in London in 2014 and 2015 on a show called Messi Goes to Okido, which was mostly a 3D show, but it had the science bit. And the, the explanation in the, of the science was done in 2D animation. And the company Doodle Productions brought me over to lead the 2D team. So I, I worked on that for over a year, I think like 15 months. Um, and I got on so well on that show and I got on amazingly well with the producer and the director and the production staff. And, and the same people are in Mystery Q. So the same director, line producer and producer, they're all the same people that I worked with. So they asked me, would I consider coming on board for this new role? So a pipeline director, essentially my job is to guide how everybody is going to work. Because obviously when you work on an animated show, you've got not just thousands of files and thousands of folders and thousands of assets. It's tens of thousands. So a pipeline director's role is to manage that and to have the entire team of 80 to 90 people working in a seamless way that nothing gets lost everybody knows how to find everything i also train people in tracking software um i'll be leading the scene build team so i'll be helping them with their role uh, it's an extremely diverse role i did do some ring on the show as well and if i become quieter later in the like next year i'll go back to doing some rigging but essentially my job now is to streamline the processes that the entire show use it's been a challenge for sure. <laughs> it's been amazing because I get to talk to the entire team. So when you work in just one department, sometimes you miss out on talking to the whole team. It's 80 to 90 people is a lot of people to work with. So you will naturally talk to your team more than anybody else. And that might just be eight people. But my role specifically now is to talk to everybody. And I absolutely love that. I love having this overview of how everyone's doing and what they're working on and helping them with what they need as well because 
pipeline is kind of filling the gaps where people have things that they need that they didn't necessarily think about. So it's sort of this overview and it. it's, it's really interesting and it's really amazing. And again, while it's not quite the creative role I had before in its own way, it is so extremely creative as well. And uh, yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. So do you think that maybe one day you'll want to return to a more animated role or do you think you'll want to stay in something that's keeping everybody together and and making sure everybody has everything that they need to move entire projects along? Rigging is is quite technical in its own way and technical directors would often be riggers as well. So our, our rigging lead is also the technical director. So I can see myself kind of hopping between the two. It's difficult to tell because I didn't necessarily see myself in this role right now. I thought maybe I might end up here, but it's definitely happened probably five years before I thought it would. So any any um, sort of career path that I thought I might have, I don't necessarily have right now because I'm trying to figure this job out at the moment. But when people offer me opportunities, I still weigh them up. So... I just don't know what's going to come next, and I'm fine with that. I don't have any problem being surprised. So can you explain the process of how an animated series comes about? So what is that entire process like? So I think answer to that, if I use, so currently we're, we're creating Dead Endia. Um, that show is based off graphic novels by Hamish Steele. So he had this idea that he has worked on for years. So there's this whole process of pitching and trying to find someone who will take your project on board. So that in itself is this massive undertaking to try and get somebody to fund. Obviously, if you're paying 80 to 90 people for a year and a half to make an animated show, it's quite expensive. It's a massive undertaking to get somebody to even fund you. When you pitch to them, you've already written a premise and you've done rough character designs and you've done um, outlines for all of the episodes. So then you bring your scripters on board and they write the scripts. Uh, You bring your initial creative people on, so maybe your art director and your director to get this um, vision together of what you want. Then once you've got your a couple of scripts done, you will get your storyboard artists in. They'll do a rough pass initially, and that goes through multiple phases as well. The storyboards, when they're locked, they go to edit, the edit team. The edit team will build an animatic. Around the same time, you'll have your characters, props, and locations being designed. After that, you'll get around the script and storyboard stage. That's around the time that you'll get some of your production people and your pipeline person and your technical director. They all come in around then to start setting up the core of how this show is going to run. Once you've got your kind of design in progress, you go to layout. After layout, you've got scene build. So they kind of prep all of the assets, the backgrounds, the rigs, the animatic, how long they'll make the shots, the right scene length for the animators. So if it's 150 frames, they'll put the animatic in. That's 150 frames. They'll make the shot 150 frames. They'll put the right characters in. So animation get that. Um, Then animation will do their work. At the same time, background will be coloring in the layout designs and and redoing new backgrounds if they need to. Then you'll have effects animation, and then it goes to compositing. And at the same time, you'll also have voice records going on. So in the scene build, they'll get the proper voice records as well. So you've got a lot of stuff going on in the background that 
I think people don't even think about, but it's it's a huge undertaking to to make an animated TV show anyway. I don't have any experience on um, feature films. So. Oh my goodness, that is a huge process. How long does that all typically take? So I started in February of this year, but I know that the art director and the producer started June of last year, I think. So she's been on it a year already and she will be on it, I think, a total of two years if we, because we have two seasons greenlit side by side. So we're doing season one and two at the same time. Well, we'll roll them one after the other. So she'll be on it for two years. My contract is for about 18 months. The animators will be maybe a year or so, a year or 15 months. It's really long. But for this is also because we do have two seasons straight away. So it's going to last a bit longer. But in general, you're looking at at least a year for a TV show that goes on. Wow. So on shows where you're working with something where there's already a graphic novel, do you all get to work directly with the creator? Or is it something where... Yep. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, so they have a lot of input. On my first week there, Hamish came over um, and was just like, okay, so in that corner, there's an ideas box. We haven't started writing for season two yet. So if you have ideas that you want to put in the show, just put them in the box. When we sit down to write season two, we're going to open that box and we're going to look at everybody's ideas. And, you know, if we if we love it and if it works for our ideas, we're going to we're going to put that in. And so this show in particular is so open to everybody having input. It's amazing. If you have, if you have an idea or you have a thought or you have something that you would love to share. Oh my God, they're so open to hearing it. It's absolutely brilliant. You don't always get that, but on this show, you definitely, definitely do. That's amazing. What is it like working with a company like Netflix on a series? Does that bring any challenges with it or is it basically the same in my experience one of the hardest companies to work for were bbc really that's interesting the reason that the bbc and cbb's are hardest is because they are specifically targeting really small children so you know really young kids so there are so many rules and regulations that you need to follow whereas with netflix and this show is for 8 to 12 year olds so it's older and Netflix are so open to it, it being scary and funny. And so studios and companies are much more lenient when it's for older kids. It's when it's for younger kids. That's when it's really, really difficult because there's so many rules that they have, even about color schemes, because some kids might be colorblind or some kids might have a sensitivity to flashing lights or or certain bright colors that contrast each other. So these are all of the things that they really take into consideration for children who are, might be a little bit too young to understand what they can and can't watch in terms of, you know, for health reasons or whatever. So BBC take that responsibility extremely seriously. I mean, it makes sense that, I mean, you know, colorblindness and sensitivities, it, it all makes sense, but it's just something you never think of when you think of the process of animation. Absolutely. And with, with Netflix, they're extremely encouraging for our designers in particular to just go all out. And if our designers go a bit nuts, like, ah, we might, we might tone that back just a small bit, but we still, we, they've still approved some stuff, some monsters and things. And we're like, wow, that's going to ter terrify the kids. And we're really excited about it. But when I was, 
when I was eight, nine, ten, I absolutely loved being scared. You know, it was exciting. You felt like you were watching something you shouldn't be watching, and it was really exciting. So, yeah, we're we're all embracing that side of ourselves on this show. That is awesome. So, what is the favorite project that you've ever worked on? Do you have one? So impossible to say. I'm a creepy crawly definitely has a special place in my heart just because it was the first show that I animated on and I really enjoyed the experience but after that working in animation is it has its challenges for sure because you know it's it's kind of contract by contract so you do go through phases where you're stressed about finding work or whatever but ultimately the people are the best people that you could possibly find anywhere everybody is just so creative and I guess like-minded for me so I I find them just amazing and they they just astonish me with their talent people are so generous they're so kind the industry is very relaxed so because we don't deal directly with clients for the most part you know production might but you working in a studio you're not actually directly dealing with clients so you don't need to wear a suit you don't need to, you know, you can have tea at your desk and nobody minds. You can chat to your colleagues and nobody's yelling at you. It's just a really amazing vibe. So that's what I love. Each show that I have worked on, I have met absolutely incredible people. So for me to pick a favorite show would almost feel like a betrayal to them. Um you know, I'm working on Dead Endia and the crew are absolutely fantastic. The show is going to be amazing. I worked on It's Pony. It's the exact kind of story that I would have always said I wanted to work on because it's really wholesome and funny and has a great wit about it. But in Boulder, they trained me and that training kind of changed the course of my career as well. So that was such an amazing experience. And Rescue Bots Academy was, was like the first sort of high budget project that I had worked on um so that was really exciting and it was really challenging as well yeah I think I've just been so lucky there have been so many at this stage that I just I, I would find it hard to pick one I think it's amazing to be in that situation where you've had so many awesome experiences absolutely so do you have a favorite part of your job it's definitely the people I just adore 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 working with such talented amazing wonderful people um it's actually it's really difficult to find somebody that you just don't like in animation um we're all nerds so we all love our movies and our cartoons and our comics and and we'll just sit around and talk about that stuff for hours then to see people who are so talented and actually be privileged enough to watch them work and watch them think and watch them create. I mean, I just, I get, I'm blown away by that all of the time. I miss it now that we're in lockdown because we're, we're not back in studio yet. And we still don't know when that is going to happen. If even all of us together will be in the studio, we don't know because of social distancing. We don't know mm. if we're actually all fit in the studio right now. I do miss that side of things a lot, but we, we do use Zoom and Google Hangouts substantially so we do get to chat to people but it's weird being on a show where there are people that I have joined the team that I have never met before oh interesting yeah I mean definitely this whole COVID situation is is making everything definitely more difficult but I'm glad that everything can still continue on your side for sure 
so I do have a couple questions that I like to ask everybody that comes on the podcast. Um, they're a little bit more lighthearted. So my first one is what profession other than your current one would you like to attempt if you didn't have to worry about school or money or anything? Uh, if I didn't have to worry about, well, I am actually a qualified florist, so. Are you really? Yeah, my grandmother had a flower shop, and now my mom runs it, so I kind of grew up in a flower shop, so that was quite fun. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, my, one of my weird, quirky things. But if I didn't have to worry about money, I think it might involve travel, like maybe doing a travel blog or something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good one. You know, one of those kind of airy fairy sort of non not real jobs Mm -hmm. yeah but i i could kind of travel at my leisure then yeah i think it'd be something like that i'd love to travel have the opportunity to travel more obviously now we don't really at all but yeah (laughs) um yeah would love to see a bit more of the world you know the kind of weird places that you if you have more than two weeks holidays you'll you'll sort of go off the beaten track a bit Mm -hmm. so i think if i was i was a travel blogger i'd probably go go see some really weird places that'd be cool (laughs) that's a great one (laughs) thank you so if there is any advice that you have on turning your passions into a career what would that be if it's your passion you're going to do it anyway but throw your whole self behind it it getting into the animation industry in particular so if i'm speaking about that it's a it's really difficult to get your first break there's a lot of other people who are also trying to get their first break so you will get turned down a lot but instead of taking that as a negative just take it as an opportunity to improve yourself so instead of getting really down about the fact that you've been rejected it's not rejection it's just that so many people are applying for the same roles that you are so just take it on the chin and go and do your next portfolio piece and make it better than your last piece because every time you do something new you're getting better all the time so just keep going and instead of letting the pressure of having to find a job take over remember that it's your passion and that you love doing it because sometimes when that stress comes in you you start to lose your passion and then maybe you think that you're wrong to be pursuing it because it's difficult but it it really is worth it when you get when you get your first few roles and you sort of build your network and you some studios know you it makes it a lot easier you have more work you know you start getting professional work on your showreel and mm-hmm. your your portfolio so it is worth it but it can be really difficult starting off but really just don't let it get you down just keep trying keep learning there's so much information out there now that you can do tutorials online, whether it's in animation or character design or backgrounds or compositing, whatever it is that you want to do, just keep building. Because even when you work in the industry, if you're an animator and you're doing animation day in and day out for 30 years, you still have something to learn. It's just that kind of job. There's always something to learn. So if you think that you aren't getting a job and you think that you should be getting a job because you know everything, your attitude is the wrong attitude. So just reset start over and improve wow that is excellent advice thank you so all in all are you happy you didn't take the advice of your mentor when you were 15 and stay away from animation i mean i'm so grateful i <laughs> plan on working for tom moore at some stage so oh, wow. cartoon saloon are they're still one of my favorite studios so um and they're doing so much amazing work now so i have one eye on 
one eye on maybe making it to their studio at some stage. Awesome. Well, Nikki, it was such a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. It was great. It's really nice to chat with you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Nikki or learn more about the show Dead India, you can visit her website listed in the show notes down below. You can also find her on Instagram at Nikki Kehoe or on Twitter at Nikki underscore Kehoe. If you guys like the show, please subscribe, leave a rating and comment on whatever platform you listen on. It really helps out the show. For more information or to learn about future guests, you can also find us on Instagram at The More Creative or on YouTube at More Creative. Again, thanks for listening and I hope to see you next time.